Sowing in the year 2012 is the title we gave the message today. As we come into Christmas, uh, not Christmas, but New Year's Eve and New Year's Day, it is a time for many things and uh, very common to us, such as festivity, time for parties, a time for parades, a time to gather with family, a time that football is celebrated, that type of thing is going on. Last night we were at a party, as some of you probably were as well, had a great time. And so this festivity that goes on, it is a time normally throughout the world for reflection. And that reflection primarily is done over the past year. It usually doesn't go much further than that. But we all reflect, and as the world does, as the news media does, has a time when a new year comes upon us of reflecting on the past year's victories, on the past year's trials, on the deaths of people uh, that have died in the past year, and on major events that have taken place. And certainly in every country and in every individual lives, uh, all those are represented here. As we look back on the past year, you will find that to be true in your life. There were victories. There were defeats. There were trials. There were maybe deaths in the family, uh, major events that took place, uh, and so forth. And uh, so one of the things that we do is we reflect. It is also usually a time of recommitment and a time of resolution. Uh, where we look at it as a fresh start, today being the first day of 2012. It is fresh, and we sometimes make commitments to things that we will do or we will not do. For example, we will go on a diet. Uh, for some people, that's it. You know, okay, we've had all the celebrations, all the candy, all of that other stuff that was given to us, and ate all the cookies and all that stuff, and we're now going to go on a diet starting tomorrow. Can't do it today yet because we're still in the time of festivity, but we will do that. Or well, there are those that this is it. This is when I'm going to commit myself, and I will no longer give in to that sin that uh, has been in our life, whether that be pornography, whether it be drinking, whether it be gossip, whether it be anger, whether whatever it might be, lying and so forth. And we're not going to give in to that anymore. And, well, we have the other side, which is the positive, and that is that we will commit ourselves to reading the Bible through, to reading the Bible every day. We will commit ourselves to going to church more consistently. We will con commit ourselves to want to walk with God. And so it usually is a time in which believers and unbelievers alike start to reevaluate and assess and make resolutions. Many, many times there are good intentions but they don't last long. They are temporary. There's no follow through. And uh, we a lot of times have these New Year's quote unquote resolutions and very few of them get followed through and we look at the end of the year as to what happened. It is also a time for anticipation because of the freshness. And uh, when we have anticipation, sometimes it's good, sometimes it's not so good. Uh, for example, on the good side, we may have some special vacations that we're planning in the coming year, where we'll be together as family, or we'll be together with some people we haven't seen. Or there's a prospect for a new job that we're just getting ready, and uh, they've been waiting, and we're going to start. I know uh, my brother-in-law is in that situation, and they were waiting till after the holidays went by, and they committed to him 
that right after the first of the year he will start in a full-time position. Uh, maybe it's to pay off a loan, finally get out of the mortgage on the house or a car. Or for some of you, it might be the graduation. You've been anticipating that, and you look forward, and there's, there's good anticipation. A graduation's coming. For some of you, it might be a wedding. Uh, this will be the year that there'll be marriage and or a new child. I just heard that this morning. Somebody congratulated them, just got news that they were going to have another child. And so all of these things, it's anticipation of good things that are going to be happening potentially in 2012. Well, we sometimes have the other situation where the finances aren't so good that our anticipation is we don't know where we're going to do because we don't have a job. Uh, our health, we just got news from the doctor that it's not as good as it would be or should be. And uh, the economy, as we hear about it on the uh, TV and over the internet, uh, the presidency coming up now, the election, and a lot of uncertainty coming into the year. So there's all kinds of anticipation that goes on. But the reality when we come to a new year, the reality is we do not know what this year is going to bring. None of us. We don't know what tomorrow is going to bring. Turn with me in your Bible to Psalm 39. This is just to set the tone for the text. Psalm 39. Bring you just a couple of quick passages. Psalm 39, verses 4 through 6. Lord, make me to know my end, and what is the extent of my days. Let me know how transient I am. Behold, you have made my days as handbreadths, and my lifetime as nothing in your sight. Surely every man at his best is a mere breath. Surely every man walks about as a phantom. Surely they make an uproar for nothing. He amasses riches and does not know who will gather them. It's pretty straightforward. We don't know. I Days are in the hands of the Lord. And go to me, with me to one other familiar passage, James chapter 4. James chapter 4 in the New Testament. We don't know what this coming year is going to bring. You might say, well, I go to the doctors once a week. That's great. Terrific. I take all the types of medication. I eat only organic food. Great. You still don't have any realization of what tomorrow is going to bring. I say that just to bring it back to reality, just last Sunday when uh, I was here, we were celebrating Christmas with you, we got word the night before that a relative of ours got sick and they took him to the hospital Saturday night. And uh, by Sunday afternoon, that person who had looked to be fine was dead. We got a call right after our Sunday meal that that person had died and that was Christmas Day. Just like that. And so we don't know. In James chapter 4, verses 13 to 14, there it says, Come now, you that say, Tomorrow, today, tomorrow, we're going to go to such and such a city and spend a year there and engage in business and make a profit, yet you do not know what your life will be like tomorrow. You are just a vapor that appears for a little while and then vanishes away. And then verse 15, and said, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we will live and also do this or that. And it doesn't mean we don't anticipate. So we don't really know what 
2012 is going to bring for any of us, really. And though we do have these things that we would like to see, and we have this anticipation resolutions, time flies by. And that happens with everyone as you begin to talk, and you've heard it when you were younger, and as you get older, you see that it's really true. And uh, just look back for those of you that let me say that are over 30 years of age, how fast the last 20 years went. And for some of you that are even 30, you may not have another 20 years, and how fast did those last 20 go? Time goes by fast. Um, if we live long enough, our life becomes full of complaints. That's a reality. In fact, it's, we're told in Ecclesiastes that that's what will happen. We will finally reach the days in our lives that we will no longer want to live anymore because of the pain, because of the suffering, because of the relationships, because of whatever has gone on in life, and we've lived long enough. And you'll find that in Ecclesiastes chapter 12 just before he tells us what we should do. We get older, our body breaks down, and we're looking forward to basically the grave, if you live long enough. So if we look around at us and we look at the news, the prospects are not that good, even if you're young. And so then you draw the conclusion, what? Should we get discouraged? Should we just give up? Or, when I heard this when I was young, what will be, will be. Just let it happen and let things go and let's see. Is that the approach for the Christian? The answer is no. None of that is correct. We ought not to be discouraged. We ought not to give up. We ought not to have a fatalistic view. In fact, if you do, you're not walking with the Lord the way you should be. We ought not to have that at all. We do have options. We do have a challenge before us, and this is our opportunity right now, as we will see in our text. So in Galatians chapter 6, we hope to look at this this morning. There are options for us. We don't know, we don't, what tomorrow will bring. We don't know what we'll next, next week will bring. But there are options that are placed before us. There is a challenge that God places before us, and there is an opportunity that is here. Let me briefly talk about the context, just so you understand it for just a moment. And we all know, I'm sure, are familiar with the fact that Galatians was written by the Apostle Paul, written to the churches, not a singular one, but those scattered throughout Galatia. And there was a difficulty. There were false teachers that were around that were saying you needed to keep the law for salvation. And in chapter 1, in verses 6 through 9, you can scan it, he basically says, Cursed be anyone who does preach the gospel other than what Paul preached. That, and that is that it's only through Jesus Christ. Anyone who distorts the gospel of Jesus Christ is to be accursed of God. That's verses 6 through 9. Paul's teaching was salvation by grace. Paul's teaching was that we had to walk in freedom. But Paul's teaching also included that we are not to use that freedom as an excuse for sin. And probably up to the point of where we are in chapter 6, I think a good summary verse of what he's been teaching is found in chapter 5, verse 13. Let's look at it for just a second. Chapter 5, verse 13. For you were called to freedom. You've been called out of the bondage of sin to the freedom in Christ. Out of death to life. You've been called into freedom, brethren. But he says this. Only do not turn your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh. 
Hold on to that one until we get back to Galatians 6. He says, do not give it an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. So we're called to freedom, but we're not to abuse it. And as he comes into chapter 6, in the first part of the chapter, he simply says in verses 1 to 5, our concentration should be to pick up one another. Our concentration should be to bear one another, to hold one another up. If you see someone that falls, you don't talk about it, you pick them up. That's what we're to do. And in chapter 6, verse 6, just before our text, he says basically, provide for those who are teaching you. Provide for those who are spending the time to share and teach the word of God to you. And then he leads us into this text that's our text this morning, which I think is a good place to start for the year 2012. And he starts by laying down a principle and some options in verses 7 and 8. So let's take a look at it. Here's what the principle is, and here's the options that are placed before us, even as we look to 2012. And he starts with two warnings. Principle number one, verse 7. Do not be deceived. That's an interesting stat. It's a warning. Don't be de deceived. He says there that we are not to be led astray. We are not to be led down the wrong pathway. We are not to be misguided. That's what he means by the word deceive. We are not to be deceived. That can happen so easily. Man thinks that he can escape the judgment of God. Man thinks that he can basically sneer God, as we'll see in just a moment. Or he thinks that he can do things and God will never notice what is going on. It's not true at all. So he starts by saying, don't be deceived. Now, how can we be deceived? Let's start with that. Well, in the context, they could be deceived by false teachers. And you'd find that in chapter 3. Go back there for just a second. Galatians chapter 3, just the first couple of verses. You foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? Who's deceived you? Before whose eyes Jesus Christ was publicly portrayed as crucified? For is this only thing I wanted to find out from you? Did you receive the Spirit by the works of the law or by the hearing with faith? Are you so foolish having begun by the Spirit? Are you now being perfected by the flesh? What happened? They were deceived by false teachers. They were deceived by philosophies of man. They were deceived by religion. Not centered in the word of God, but centered in feelings. Not centered in what was true, but what in people's minds was to be the truth. And so false teachers had an impact, and that could deceive them. And so in Galatians chapter 6, when he's saying, don't be deceived, false teachers could have an effect on that. Who else could have an effect on deception for us? Satan. Why? Well, in John chapter 8, we've been studying, John chapter 8, verse 44, he is called the father of lies. We can be deceived, first of all, when a false teacher comes along. Secondly, we can be deceived when Satan is involved behind the scenes. And sometimes, many times, we will not see that. But I challenge you and me that the third one 
is the most devastating. How else can we be deceived? By others, yes. By Satan, possibly. Thirdly, self-deception. Self-deception. I don't have to have you turn there, but let me remind you of Jeremiah chapter 17 and verse 9. The heart of man is what? Deceitful. Above what? All things. And desperately wicked. We don't want to think that way. I guarantee, as you're sitting there, some of you may be thinking about somebody else, possibly even me. Because that's the way we think. We don't think about ourselves and our own heart as being deceitful and desperately wicked. But it is. And in Galatians chapter 6, he's starting out with that. Do not be deceived. We shouldn't think that we should be deceived by false teachers. We shouldn't be deceived by Satan, nor should we be self-deceived. People think that their choices do not matter. Listen, that's self-deception. If you don't think, and I don't think, that everyday decisions that we make affect us and affect God, you're kidding yourself. You're deceiving yourself. Every decision that we make Every day, every choice that we make, we make, it affects us. Some of them physically, some of them emotionally, some of them mentally, some of them socially, and many of them eternally. Every day. Every day we make choices. And you notice it's interesting because with that warning comes the second warning. What a way to start. Do not be deceived. And then he says this, God is not mocked. That's the principle. Don't be deceived. God is not mocked. That word mock me there means to be snubbed, to be sneered at. How does that happen? There are those that look to the word of God and hear the word of God and they poof, they poo-poo it. Or Christians, yeah, I know I shouldn't do it, but God, God doesn't care. And all they go to the defense of God, when in reality they're deceiving themselves. God always wins. We are temporal. We are finite. God is infinite. God sees all, and he knows all of the situation that comes up. And the principle that he's laying out for them as he's telling them to uplift one another, as he's telling them to take care of those who take care of them, as he's talked to them about false teachers is, first of all, don't be deceived. God is not mocked. People might sneer at God or think they're going to get away with things. In the long run, they will lose. And that's also true for anyone else that thinks that way. But I want you to notice what he says. Why does he give them this warning? Don't be deceived. God is not mocked. Here's the reason, verse 7, and the statement. For what? Whatever a man sows, this he will also reap. Let me point this out first. Everyone is sowing. 
As we walk into 2012, you are sowing. I am sowing. You say, I don't know. I don't have a farm. I don't have a garden. I don't sow any seed. I don't like plants to begin with. Now, if, oh, you, if you're like me, I don't have a green thumb. They die. Just can't keep them going. You are sowing. There's no question. For whatever a man sows, everyone is involved in the sowing process, be it saved or unsaved. Turn with me to Romans chapter 2. You say, well, I don't believe the gospel. You are sowing. You say, I believe the gospel, but I have this plan. You're sowing. So am I. Romans chapter 2. Look at verses 7 through 10. To those who by perseverance in doing good seek for glory and honor and immortality, eternal life. That's one type of sowing. Verse 8. But to those who are selfishly ambitious and do not obey the truth, but obey unrighteousness, this is the unsaved, wrath and indignation. Verse 9, there will be tribulation, distress for every soul of man who does evil, for the Jew first and also for the Greek. Verse 10, but glory and honor and peace to everyone who does good, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. There is no way around it. We have a principle before us of sowing and reaping, and we are all sowing. As we walk in at a new year, 2012, we're going to sow. You're going to sow good, or you're going to sow, sow bad, and you'll see that in a minute. And let me say this. That includes the secret things that you think nobody else sees. Numbers 32 says, be sure your sin will find you out. Sometimes it's in this life. Sometimes it's later before God, but it will be found out. Psalm 90 verse 8 says, our secret sins are in the light of his presence always. The things you think you're getting away with, you're not. You're sowing. You're sowing. And you're sowing. So everybody's sowing. I don't care this morning whether you believe the gospel or you don't. In 2012, already you have begun to sow. And, he says, Galatians chapter 6, verse 7, whatever a man sows, here's the rest of the principle, what is it? This he will also reap. Everyone will reap. It's the principle of sowing and reaping. You don't, you, can, you don't have a choice to say, well, I'm not going to sow. You are sowing. You're either sowing good or you're sowing evil, as we'll see in just a moment. And whatever it is that you do sow, you will reap. Let me try to illustrate it to you, how it's true physically. I'll give you some examples. We saw yesterday, my wife and I were out. We saw this sign, and it said, New Year's resolution. Some of you might have seen this. Do not give up smoking cigars. By the way, if you want to know, it was the two-smoke shop, whatever it was. That's what it said. It said, do not give up smoking cigars. That was the resolution for 2012. Let me tell you something. You want to smoke, you have the freedom to do it. But when you get lung cancer, don't talk to me about it. Why? You reap what you sow. I have an aunt that died of lung cancer because of that. I had a stepfather that had emphysema because he drank. And I was there and saw how scared he was 
when he finally hit the hospital. He reaped what he sowed. He reaped what he sowed. Spiritually, that is true. Socially, that is true. If you're unknown as the person that runs around with a lot of women or a lot of guys, what you're sowing, you will reap. Young people, listen. As young people, you are sowing. You say, I don't know, people picking on me all the time. They, what type of reputation did you build for yourself? Why do people think that of you? Is it because you're always in the corner causing trouble? Is it because you are always known as a liar because you lie all the time? Is that why they're not trusting you now? See, it happens in life. It is also true in the spiritual realm. But the first principle is, as we go into 2012, everyone is sowing, and everyone will reap that which he sows. God is not mocked. He doesn't lose track. He doesn't lose track of the motives of our heart. He does not lose track of what we really do. He does not lose track of what really is going on in our mental thinking, or in our hearts, or in our actions. But we are sowing, and we will reap. Now, what are the choices that we have? There's only two. Two options, period, verse 8. Here's the two options. For the one who sows to his own flesh will from the flesh reap corruption, and the one who sows to the Spirit will from the Spirit reap eternal life. That's it. There are no other options. Believer, unbeliever, no different options. As we go into 2012, we're going to sow. Now, as far as the reaping, I didn't deal with that at this length, but some of it will be reaped now. Others will be reaped later on. That's always true. You don't always get the benefit right away. Sometimes it takes years, and sometimes it won't happen until we stand before Christ with the reaping. But we will reap, and everyone is sown. What are the options that I have? You have this option. Let me start with you as a believer. You have the options of sowing to the flesh, temporal. Put it very simple. That which will only last for this world, it will all disappear. All of it. All of it. Whether it's money, whether it's fame, whether it's health, there are Christians that concentrate their whole life on that. All they want to do is have a huge bank account. Read Solomon's words on that. And we know it's true. Your life can be taken like that, and all that you build up is left for somebody else, and you have no control over how they squander it. Is that what you're going to live for? You say, well, my health is so important. Yeah, health is important. But you can live all of your life and concentrate on that, and you know what? If it is not cancer that gets you, and it's not a heart attack, something will because you are temporal. And if it wasn't a candy bar or chips, it's, it still might have been the organic turnip. I don't know what it was. But your health is going to fail. Is that all you're living for? Seriously. Or fame. Here's a challenge. You who have been around a while, start to talk about some of the people that you looked up as athletic heroes when you were young. And start to talk. We were last night at a party, and uh, as the game was being played, somebody mentioned the word Chamberlain. The only ones that said Wilt Chamberlain were about three people who at my age are close to it. All the young people said, who? 
Why? Fame is something, you think about it. The people that are famous today, if the Lord tarries a thousand years from now, people aren't even going to know who they are. They're not, even with the statues. We went down into Boston with our family, my, my wife and my daughter. We took the time. We went in there on Friday and went down, wanted to see the sculptures that they were working on. And we walked around, and we were reading some of the statues of some of the people that were there in Boston and watching other people. They didn't even know who these people were. These are statues that are there. They don't even know who they are. Is that what your life is committed to, that this year I'm going to sow to the flesh and get as much out of life as I can, and that's my concentration? If that's all you sow to, that's what you'll get. You might get 17 homes. You might get 45 ocean liners. You might get health for another 10 years, and it will all end right there. Or you can be sowing to the Spirit. That which has eternal benefits, that's what it means. When it says if you will sow to the Spirit, from the Spirit you'll reap. When it talks about eternal life, it's not dealing with the fact of winning eternal life. He's already dealt with that in the entire book. It only comes through Christ. He's dealing with the quality. He's dealing with the fact that it will have eternal value. It is laying up treasures in heaven. It is living for the Lord Jesus Christ. Now to the unsaved, to go there for a second, that is foolishness to them. That they would concentrate on that and they do that. They snub God. And they think they can be their self-deception. They think they can snub God and get away with it but they cannot, the day's coming, they will end up in a casket. And they will stand before God, and they will not be able to snub him anymore. And everything that they had for this life, it's all gone. They don't take the yachts with them. They don't take their gold. They don't take their fame. It's all gone. And they must stand and face God. And for the saved, all of those years that have been spent in foolishness, in the flesh, is wood, hay, and stubble. It's gone. The rewards are lost. And that's what's before us. As we come to 2012, we're going to sow. What are we going to sow for? The benefits of the flesh? Now, I'm not saying don't enjoy your home. I'm not saying don't enjoy the turnip or whatever that I use as an example. Enjoy the stuff. God has given us all things to enjoy. Seriously. We can be foolish with those things and bring on death quicker and so on. We can. We can be foolish. But is that our concentration? Or are we concentrating on really sowing for that which lasts for eternity? That which has value that's not wood, hay, and stubble, but gold, silver, and precious stone. That's what he starts off with. Don't be deceived. God's not mocked. Whatever you sow, you will reap. And your two options are, you're either going to sow to the flesh, that which is temporary, or you will sow to the spirit, that which has eternal value. And that's true with your children, by the way, for your parents. As you're parenting and you're investing in their life, are you concentrating on teaching them principles? I had a discussion at the party that I was at last night with a couple of people on this. Are you investing in your children so that all their mind is thinking about is fleshly things and how they can get by in this world? Or are you teaching them and investing in their lives with eternity so that they are understanding how to love God, how God should be first in their life? 
how God should be the one that they're praying to, how God's the one they should be depending upon. Where are you? That's sowing to eternity. The way you love your wife. Submit to your husband. The way you do your job. It's practical. When I get in the job, am I doing my job as unto the Lord, or am I just hoping that the boss isn't looking right now because I'm goofing off? You see? How do you take care of your room at home and so forth? It's practical. Well, I just do it and I don't care about it. Or I really do it as if I'm serving the Lord and even taking care of my room. Whatever it might be. You know, it's interesting because right after he says, you're either sowing to the flesh or you're sowing to the spirit. And as you go into 2012, that's what I'm saying. There's our options. Our option is in 2012 to sow to the flesh or to the spirit. But then he puts this challenge in there. Look at verse 9. Let us not lose heart in doing good. Why? For in due time, we will reap in due time, in God's timing, if we do not grow weary. Simply stated, it's this. Don't quit. Don't give up. When you go into 2012 and I go into 2012, there's something to put in. I am going to sow. If it's going to be to the flesh or is it going to be to the spirit? And by the way, we never do it 100% the right way. We'll do a little sowing to the flesh even when we don't want to. And we'll sow to the spirit. But the idea is to yield to the spirit of God. And remember, that's the eternal values. I'll come back to that in a minute. But we're not to quit. We're not to give up. Why? Sometimes we want to do that. And the whole context of this is exhausting. It is work. It is discouraging when you're sowing to the spirit. Why? Because of all the trials and tribulations that come our way. And that's what happens. And it's sometimes from the outside. But remember what Paul said? It's not on the outside, but it comes from within. And it can get you to the point as a Christian when you're trying to walk with the Lord that other Christians can pull you down and they can want you to quit. And he's saying, don't quit. Keep on keeping on. And the older you get, and the longer you're a Christian, the wearier it gets, to be honest. And as we go into 2012, it can happen. You can just say, I'm not seeing all the fruit. The Lord says, I'm going to reap. In due time, you will reap. Continue on. And that's why he says this. He says, don't lose heart. If you're going into 2012, don't lose heart. Don't be worried about the economy. The Lord's still in control. Don't be worried about the fact that you don't know what's coming on tomorrow. Trust in the Lord. If the Lord wills, we'll do this, we'll do that. Lay up for yourself treasures in heaven. Yes, where moth and rust does not corrupt. Set your mind on things above, not on things that are temporal. That's where we ought to be. And don't get discouraged in doing it. Is it worth it? Absolutely. And sometimes you won't find it till later, but you will reap it in good time. So don't grow weary. Anybody who's been a Christian for any length of time sometimes wants to quit. Why? Well, let me give you a couple of quick reasons of the keys to not quitting. Number one, remember. Remember. That was our responsive reading. Remember what God has done. 
With Israel in our responsive reading, I won't turn back there, but the essence was, I'm going to bring you into a land that is flowing with milk and honey. In other words, he says, the iron's going to be there, the gold's going to be there, everything's going to be beautiful. It's almost like living in the United States of America. Really. And don't forget what I've done for you. Because he says you're going to become proud and you're going to forget. Listen, anyone in this room that is a believer, don't forget Ephesians chapter 2. You were dead in your trespasses and sins. God made you alive. You were on your way to hell and God delivered that. And the longer a person becomes a Christian, the more we take for granted salvation. The longer a person's a Christian, the more we forget what God has done in our lives. I am absolutely grateful, and I say it publicly, grateful for the people that have impacted my life. Some of them are sitting in the audience. And have been faithful in teaching the word of God. Some of them have gone home and been with the Lord. Some of them I only see a couple of times a year. Some of them I see regularly. But I'm so grateful and thankful. And I can't forget all the labors that they've put in, in impacting my life. But it's so easy to forget and throw out the window. Just like that. And what happens? We'll start sowing to the flesh. We want to remember what God has done. And as an individual, remember what God's done in your life. Remember how he's brought you to salvation. Remember how he's helped you to grow. Remember how he's been faithful in providing for you. Secondly, forget. Pastor Dan, you're absolutely confusing us. No. Number one is don't forget. Remember what God's done. But number two, forget the past when you've failed. You say, I don't think that's biblical, Pastor Dan. How about Philippians chapter 3, verse 13? Paul says, forgetting the things that are behind, I press forward to the prize of Christ Jesus. Too many Christians, probably most, probably starting with myself in honesty, trying to be as honest as I can be with my heart, filtering down to every one of you. We don't forget. We don't forget the past. We don't move on, and that's why. And what happens? You continue to sow to the flesh. When the Lord forgets, it's as far as the east is to the west. Aren't you thankful? I am. And that's how we're to treat one another. We ought to forget. Why? Because we cannot change the past. If you failed yesterday, Saturday, as a believer, confess it and put it behind you. If you don't, you will browbeat yourself and you won't walk on with the Lord. Or others will browbeat you with it. And you'll never make any progress. That's why he says, don't get discouraged. Keep on. Remember what God's done in your life. Second, forget the things that have been a failure in the past and move forward. But third, don't forget this one. Expect trials. As believers, we think everything is going to go perfect. Sometimes we hear that. If you're walking with the Lord, everything is going to go perfect. What Bible are you reading? You don't begin to get persecution until you come to Christ. Trials are there. Why? James chapter 1. We are to rejoice 
when trials come into our life. Often what even happens to Christians when a trial comes into their life, they explode. And everything goes wrong. Rather than seeing the trial, why did this happen? Well, God has it for my growth. I'm talking about me or you. And that's the way we ought to see trials, that he's using it to mature us, to help us. If we're exercised by it, yes. But expect trials. Don't think they're going to go away. They will come. They will come from believers, and they will come from unbelievers. But expect trials. So as I go into 2012, I need to realize I'm sowing. You have a choice. Sow to the flesh, sow to the spirit. And as you're sowing to the spirit, do not quit. Don't get discouraged. What are some practical ways to help with that? Remember what God's done. Remember what God's doing. Forget your failures of the past. Don't dwell on them. You'll beat yourself down, or others will as well. Also, then what? Remember that trials have a purpose. And as we go into 2012, I don't know what trials I'm going to face. You don't know what trials you're going to face, but you will face them. And God has designed them for you to grow. And God's designed them for me to grow. And the fourth thing I'll give you a practical way, remember that God is faithful. Turn with me to Philippians chapter 1. I want you to see that. Philippians chapter 1. It's not that far away. Philippians chapter 1. Look at verse 6. You know it. 1-6. For I am confident, Paul says, of what? This very thing. That he, that is God, who began a good work in you will perfect it until the day of Christ Jesus. All the way through. God is faithful. Paul knew it, and Paul encouraged the Philippians with it. And you can encourage yourself as you go into 2012. I'm going to sow. What do I want to sow to the flesh or eternity? That which is temporal or that which is for eternal. And if I want to sow for that which is eternal, don't get discouraged. Don't grow weary in well-doing. Don't get beat down. Continue on. And how do I do that? Remember what God's done. Forget your failures. Look at trials as a part of your growth. And also remember that God is working and he is faithful. I won't turn you to it, but you can mark down Romans 8. Everybody knows verse 28, but 28 forward. Everything that comes into our life, God has a purpose for. And nothing will separate us from the love that's found in the Lord Jesus Christ. We ought to be laying up treasures in heaven, seeking things that are above. For the unsaved, he sneers at it. I can't see the spiritual. And yet he knows in his heart there's more that's needed. My encouragement is even if you're honest with yourself and say, you know, I'm not sure if what Pastor Dan said is true. I'm not sure if the Bible is true. I'm not so sure that Jesus Christ is the only way. At least be honest with yourself to say to God, God, if it's true, you show me. I've got to know my life is temporal, and I want to know the truth. God will open up and honor that prayer. He'll open up the truth to you so that you can be sowing things for eternity and not just temporal. And fellow believer, that's what we should be seeking. So don't get discouraged. And I end with this, because he does, in verse 10. 
So then, while we have opportunity, the window of opportunity is now. Now is the time. 2011 is past. We don't know that we got 2013. We are in 2012, day one. We are sowing. You have a choice. You don't just throw up your hands and say, what will be, will be. No, you either sow to the flesh or you sow to the spirit. And if you sow to the spirit, it has eternal value. And when you are, don't get discouraged. Don't quit. Continue on and keep on keeping on. And remember that this is the opportunity. While you are breathing God's air, which is right now, this is the unique time, but it's limited. And for every one of us, starting with myself in this room, it is limited, and we don't know when it will stop. And just because you're younger, don't think that you're going to last longer than some people that are older. That's not necessarily true. This is the opportunity. We ought to act on it. We ought to do what's good. That's what he says. Let us do good, first of all, to all people, the unsaved, those at work, those that are your neighbors. You ought to do good to them, that which is a quality about it. You know, Pastor Chris has a, a theme for the school this year. It's called excellence. That should be in every one of the Christians' lives. Whatever we do, we should do all to the glory of God. We should do it with excellence, not just half-heartedly or half-heartedly. We should, this is morally good. This is spiritual excellence that it's talking about. But we should look to treat all people that way, not even to look down on them, but especially those who are the household of God. I never cease to be amazed. What is the destruction of the church universal or the church local? It's in internal. It's not external. We all contribute to it. And what happens is because we especially don't treat one another. Well, how am I to treat you if you fail to pick you up, not to roll over you? How are you to pick me up? Same way. Same way. We're to look for those opportunities. And let me make it as practical as I can before I summarize it. I'm going to look at two texts very quickly. Go with me to Colossians chapter 3. Because it's got to work itself out. We're all sowing in 2012. What are we sowing to? We will all reap some of it now, but in God's due time. Don't quit. Don't give up as you go into 2012. Continue persevering for the Lord. And that may sound kind of basic to you, but I'm going to tell you something. We're living in a world in which even in professing Christianity, less and less people want the word of God. Less and less there's concern about holiness. Less and less there's concern about memorizing scripture. Less and less there's concern about witnessing. And more and more there's conformity to this world. We need to be encouraged not to quit. And we need to see this as our opportunity. How is it practical? Well, Colossians chapter 3, let me highlight a couple of things. Go to verse 8. But now you also put them all aside. What? Put this aside, anger, wrath, malice, slander, abusive speech from your mouth. That's pretty practical. Do not lie one to another, since you laid aside the old self and its evil practices. How about the positive passage? Jump down to verse 12. 
so as those who have been chosen of God, holy and beloved, put on a heart of compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, patience, bearing with one another, forgiving each other. Whoever has a complaint against anyone, we never see this part of it. Just as the Lord forgave you, so also should you. When someone offends us, we just rage. But when we get offended by or we offend somebody else, we're thankful the Lord just puts it away. Beyond all these things, put on love, which is the perfect bond of unity. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, in which you were called in one body. Be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. These are good points, I think, for 2012. Let the word of Christ dwell in us. Let the peace of Christ rule in our hearts. Put away those things of the flesh. Put on the new man. That's what he's talking about. He goes on in verse 16. With all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another. Psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. Singing. Thankfulness in your heart. Whatever you do. What? In word, in deed. Do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus. Giving thanks. That's what our life is to reflect. The other passage is Romans chapter 12. You're familiar with it, but turn there. Romans 12. This is just the practical outworking of doing good toward others. Let me go down. To, well, let me look at verse 1 and 2 for just a moment. I know you know it. Therefore, I urge you, brethren, by the mercies of God, present your bodies, a living sacrifice acceptable to God. This is your spiritual service of worship. Do not be conformed to this world. How do I avoid that? By being transformed. Where? In your mind. The renewing of your mind so that you may prove what the will of God is, that which is good, acceptable, and perfect. What does it look like practically? Jump down to verse 9. Let love be without hypocrisy. Hate evil. Cling to that which is good. Be devoted to one another in brotherly love, giving preference to one another in honor, serving the Lord, verse 11, rejoicing in hope, contributing to the needs, verse 13. Bless those who persecute you. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Verse 17, never pay back evil to anyone. Respect the right, what's right in the sight of all men. If it be possible, as far as it depends on you, be at peace with all men. You want a summary verse? Verse 21. Do not overcome, be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. I think that's a practical outline for 2012. How do we summarize what we've learned from Galatians chapter 6? Well, let me start with the last part. This is our opportunity. You know, you hear it all the time. Be that sports teams, be that the arts with people with abilities, be that doctors or nurses, this is our opportunity. Christians, this is our opportunity. You say, I'm not a Christian yet. This is your opportunity for salvation. Don't put it off. There's no guarantee. Ask the Lord to open up your understanding. Fellow believer, this is your opportunity to serve him. Second, you are sowing. 
as we sow in 2012, and there's no way around it, you're either sowing that which is good, which is eternal, which is to the spirit, or that which is to the flesh, which is the wood, hay, and stubble. What's the choice? As you're sowing, you will, have, you will sow, but sow for the things that are eternal. And then thirdly, don't give up. There isn't a one of us, starting with the one you're looking at, that at times doesn't want to say, I've just had enough. And get ready to quit. Don't do it. Why? Keep eternity in focus. Keep the responsibility that you have in focus. Continue on in 2012. Don't forget what God has done. Put the failures behind you, even if others bring them up. Put it behind you. Thirdly, remember that trials are to help you to grow. You'll get them in 2012. And also remember that God will perfect in you that which he started. You will meet him in glory, and he will carry you all the way through with his strength. I think that's a good guideline for 2012. We're all going to be sowing. Might God help us to sow for eternity and not for the flesh? Let's close in a word of prayer. Our Father in God, some of this we fail in the practicality of life. We all do. I know I do. Fail in the way we deal with people, the way we deal with our jobs, the way we deal with our neighbors, the way we deal with our attitudes, the way we deal with our thinking. But Father, Paul had a good reminder for the Galatian churches. God's not mocked. We are not to be deceived. We are not to self-deceive. But we are to remember that whatever we sow, we will reap. And if we are sowing eternal things, we will reap eternal benefits. Help us to set our affections on things above. Help us to lay up our treasures in heaven. Help us, Father, to do the practical as exhorted in the book of Romans and Colossians, to treat others the way you've called us to treat them, and to let the chips fall where they may. We pray, Father, that you'd encourage us. Help us to see this as an opportunity. And as we go into 2012, I pray for everyone in this room, that for those who know Christ, that we would be sowing for eternity. For those who have yet to come to Christ, that, Father, you challenge their heart this year. Help them not to be deceived by themselves. Help them not to sneer at the things of the gospel or things that belong to eternity. Help them, Father, to be honest with you. Open up their understanding and help them to see the glorious gospel of Jesus Christ that they might come to believe and they might begin to start sowing for eternity. We thank you, Father, for this time. We pray that you bless us as a congregation and as individuals and help us to bless your life with the way that we walk and sow in 2012. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. As we close, would you stand with me, please, and turn to 382. And sing the first and last stanzas of Be Thou My Vision, O Lord of My Heart. As we consider.
again, seeking the Lord in this new year. Be thou my vision, verses 1 and 4, number 382. Pick it up a little. Not be all else to be save that thou art. Thou my best thought by day or by night. Waking or sleeping, thy presence my light. High King of Missed.